Let the church say amen again. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. God is good. And all the time, and His mercy endures forever. We at Harvest Community Church are a community of worshipers committed to Christ, commissioned to serve, and called to pray without ceasing. Uh, if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 8. Uh, it may Your Bible may creak when you try and find Leviticus uh, normally. You don't hear very many sermons out of the book of Leviticus, but we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 8. Once you find it or you have it in your electronic device, would you stand in honor of God's word? Let everyone say amen. 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 Leviticus chapter 8, verses 22 through 24. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And Moses killed it. Also, he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of Aaron's right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Father God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today. We ask that Jesus would be glorified and that he would be lifted up. And as he is lifted up, we would see him. And as we see him, we would believe on him. And as we believe on him, we would be saved. In Jesus' name, won't you say, Amen. Amen. I want to talk on on the subject for the next few minutes, Children Called to Be Great, with a subtitle, Three Drops of Blood. Uh, Dr. Jeremiah Wright, one of the iconic pastors in Chicago, uh, preached a revival in California, and one of the nights he preached on the subject, Three Drops of Blood. Years ago, when I was a student at Morehouse College, I had an opportunity to hear that civil rights icon and that ministry great, Dr. Wyatt T. Walker, preach on three drops of blood. Reverend Ron, you may not remember this, but the first time I was ever asked to preach or speak at a Restoration Academy chapel, the name had just changed from Frontier Christian School to Restoration Academy, they were meeting at Doers of the Word Church, and you won't remember the subject, but it was three drops of blood. I remember getting these little stickers, and all of the students had three red stickers, and when I said that Moses put uh, a drop of blood on the ears of their right ears, they would take those stickers and put them on their ears, and on their right thumbs, and they had stickers to put on their thumbs. And then I'd sit on their right big toe and I'd kick my leg out and they put it on their toe. I don't know how long those stickers lasted, but three drops of blood. You know, as uh, as we look at this passage, I'm, I'm ever mindful of one of my favorite basketball players of all time. It happens to be Stephon Curry. And arguably, he is the greatest shooter that has ever 
played the game. In 2015, he won the MVP for the NBA, and they won, the Golden State Warriors won a championship. But shortly after winning MVP, there was a high school teacher at a high school in California that wrote a blog, and it, it, it kind of circulated around the blogosphere, entitled, Dear Steph Curry, Now That You Are MVP, Please Don't Come and Visit My High School. And he goes on, and this is just an excerpt. He says in the blog, kids who you will inspire with your presence will simply see you and think they too will be MVP one day. Even though their chances are slim to none. So instead of doing homework the night after your visit, they'll grab their lopsided old ball and go out and play on a court with their little brother and shoot the ball badly improbably thinking every time the ball actually does go in that it means they're on their way to fame and fortune. You see, Steph, once you leave my school, the boys here are not going to run home and finish that essay, which is the one thing they could do about their future that's in their control. And then he goes on to conclude the blog by saying, That is what celebrity worship does, Steph. And we need kids to do less of it rather than more. They're already very good at dreaming about being rich and famous. What we need them to do is to get a little more realistic about what is in their control. We need less of an emphasis on sports and celebrity in high school because it's hurting these kids too much as it is. My subject is children called to be great, but don't get it twisted. Let's define what greatness really is. Let me tell you what I am not talking about. I am not talking about the world's definition of greatness. I'm not talking about fame and fortune. I'm not talking about hero worship. I'm not talking about celebrity worship. I'm talking about the greatness that comes from God. You see... If you were to look at the chances of becoming an NBA player, it would be 0.03%. The chances of our kids becoming NFL players and starring in the NFL is 0.2%. And being an entertainer like Beyonce or J-Lo is 0.04%, less than 1% of our young people will be great in these areas, either as a professional athlete or an entertainer. Yet, if you ask our kids what they want to be when they grow up, it's, I'm going to play in the NBA. I'm going to, I'm going to play football. Or, or I'm going to be a rapper. And it's killing our kids. And one of the things I think that this scripture text gives us insight into is the very nature of greatness with God. You know the story. The children of Israel were in bondage. The children of Israel were released and Moses led the people out the night before was Passover. They killed the lamb. They put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts so God would pass over their sin. They come into the wilderness. God gives them ten commandments. And what he does here in this passage is he establishes priests 
who would step before God and priests who would come before God on behalf of the people and then go before the people on behalf of God. In this particular chapter, if you were to read the entire chapter, you would see in the beginning that he had special clothes for them to wear. That they would put those on and they would be identified by the entire community as being this special man or this, this special individual chosen by God for his specific purpose. If you were to read uh, uh, the, the beginning of, of the chapter, you know that, that there was one lamb that was slain that, that they, they had a sin offering for. And then uh, not only were they anointed with the blood of that lamb, they were anointed with oil. And they were anointed with oil because they were viewed upon as royalty before God. And men and women, we are Christians here today, and we know that that blood of that Lamb in the Old Testament represented the blood of the Lamb in the New Testament. And we as believers know that not only does God have those special priests in the Old Testament for His people, but He has special priests in the New Testament who are His people. We are priests because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And that is how we are great. And that's what makes us great. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful or marvelous light. Did you pick it up? God calls us a chosen people. That's great. God calls us a royal priesthood. That's great. God calls us a holy nation. God calls us His special possession. And yet, our children don't see being a believer and being a man or a woman chosen by God as being great. And there's this clear distinction between what God has called us to and our appreciation of it. For the next few moments, I'd like to talk on the subject, children chosen to be great. Children called to be great based on three drops of blood. How, how are these, these priests to be great? How are they represented? What, what does this whole consecration ceremony represent? Well, point number one, you'll remember that they bring Aaron's sons to them. And parenthetically, let me tell you that Aaron wasn't the only one consecrated. They brought Aaron's children. The children are great. They brought Aaron's children because God is a generational God. And so it says Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears. Why would Moses put a drop of blood on the tips of their right ears? The answer is simply in order for them to know that greatness comes from hearing God's voice. Greatness comes from hearing God. The two great, great questions that, that our society is asking is, who am I and, where, and, and what is my purpose? Yeah. Well, God answers that when he says that you are mine, I created you. I created you for a purpose. And your purpose is to glorify me and enjoy me forever. Hearing God's voice. Our children are bombarded with voices today. 
They hear voices from Facebook and voices from Twitter. They hear voices from Instagram and voices from TikTok. And all too often those voices are not telling them things that are profitable and things that would would give them great value. I remember watching one of these posts a number of years ago when these challenges were very popular. And I have no idea why any individual would do this, but there was this picture of this young man who had his shirt off and, and, and some swim trunks on and doused uh, alcohol all over his chest and set himself on fire. And then immediately turned the, the water on in the tub. I mean, it, yeah, it makes for very funny video, but it doesn't make for very good sense. It was all for views. It was all for going viral. It was all for popularity. So many voices. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. To hear the word of God. Not only that, but Romans 10:17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The whole idea of the ear, it has to do with personal relationship with God, hearing His voice, knowing when He's speaking to you, knowing when He is directing you. And men and women, it reminds me of that passage in 1 Samuel chapter 3 where Samuel is just a boy and he is sleeping and all of a sudden he hears this voice, Samuel, Samuel. And then he goes to the prophet Eli and says, what do you want? And Eli says, well, I didn't call you. That happens three times. And then Eli has enough sense to say, well, I think that is God who is calling you. So the next time you hear your name called, I want you to answer. And sure enough, Samuel hears Samuel, Samuel, and he answers, Lord, it is your servant. I'm I'm listening. Speak to me. And men and women, it took a, a, an older saint. It took a father figure. It took someone else to help this boy learn to discern the voice of God. And men and women, it is our responsibility to help these children learn to hear God's voice. It is our responsibility because hearing God and knowing what God is doing in His world makes them great. You see, it was my grandmother that taught me Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, it was my grandmother that told me when I stepped into that classroom, you are to recite Psalm 119, verse 18. Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. Two plus two is four because God says so. And when you ask him to reveal that to you, he will. It was my grandmother who said that, that, that Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It was my grandmother who told me that John 10.10 says the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It was my grandmother who helped me hear the voice of God when even as a little boy, not even believing in Jesus, she'd say, you know, John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It was my grandmother who taught me John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, hearing the voice of God, our children can do that. 
I can't guarantee them that they'll make it to the NBA. I can't guarantee them that they'll make it to the NFL. I can't guarantee them that they'll be this well-known entertainer. But what I can guarantee is if you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I guarantee you if you're seeking to hear God's voice, you will. Not only did he put a drop of blood on Aaron's son's ears. But he also put a drop of blood on their right thumb. On their right thumb. What I'd like you to do is to raise your right hand. I didn't stutter. Go ahead and raise your right hand. I want you to take your thumb and put it as far over as you can, maybe touching your small finger. Now I want you to imagine picking up a hymnal or a Bible or a large book. Imagine not having this thumb to work with. It would be pretty difficult to get along. You can put your hands down. It'd be pretty difficult. Some physiologists, physiologists say that man has thumbed his way through history. It is kind of miraculous and, 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 and outstanding what the thumb and the index finger can do together. We're able to write. We're able to do all kinds of things. It's, it almost serves like an anchor. And so when he put blood on the right thumb of Aaron's son, you may want to ask, well, why did he do that? Because he wanted them to know that greatness comes from doing God's will. It's what you do with your hands. It's what you do with your activity. God is concerned about what we do. He's concerned about what we put our hands to, our work our worship, our doing His will. You know, sometimes we can discount the ministry that young people can have. I know that, that, that when I was an associate minister and I served for about 12 years as an associate, best uh, position in the entire church, Reverend Ron, uh, Re- Re- Reverend uh, uh, Will and Minister Dan, best position in the whole church because you have all the freedom of ministry with none of the responsibility. Best position ever. And so when I was serving and when I was doing, we were fond of using the phrase, we've got to think of ways we can minister to the youth. Y-O-O-F, youth. How to minister to the youth. Well, here's a paradigm shift. Instead of trying, find, trying to find ways to minister to the youth, what if we try and find ways to allow youth to become ministers? What if we stop ministering to children and start encouraging children to minister? Let me give you a, a, a quick uh, rundown of the Old Testament and one person in the New. David was a teenager when he defeated Goliath. Esther was a teenager when she went to the king to intercede for the Jews. Daniel was a teenager when he decided that he would not defile himself by eating food that was sacrificed to idols. The three Hebrew boys were teenagers when they decided not to bow to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Mary was a teenager when she gave birth to the Christ child. Who says... That God does not use children and youth. Many of us would not be saved had we not given our lives to Jesus as a child 
or as a youth, let's do another poll. You raise your hand if you came to know Jesus before the age of 18. The majority of people in the room. Probably one of my favorite stories in the last couple of years is uh, of a young man named Austin P. Ryan. Austin P. Ryan lives right here in Birmingham. And he decided after a conversation with his father about watching this animal show and this panda mother had abandoned her panda baby. And his father mentions, oh, isn't that uh, uh, really sad? This panda baby is going to be homeless. Austin P. Ryan said, Daddy, what does it mean to be homeless? It means that you don't have a place to stay. You don't have anyone to take care of you. You, you don't have any uh, nowhere getting food and those kinds of things. And then Austin asks his daddy, Daddy, are people homeless? And he says, yes, Austin, people are homeless. And then Austin says, well, what are we going to do about it? And so on a weekly basis, Austin, here in Birmingham, started delivering food to the homeless at Lynn Park. And people around the country had picked up the story. And Austin started traveling to major cities around the country to show love. And and one of his taglines is, remember to show love. Remember to show love because of a conversation that he had with his daddy and his daddy empowering him and asking questions about, well, what can you do, son? And Austin says, well, maybe I can take the allowance that you give me and I can put it toward buying sandwiches and buying trips and buying drinks. And we go and take it to homeless folks. Don't you tell me that children can't be great. Don't you tell me that God can't use them in a special way. Don't you tell me that the seeds that we drop don't influence them for good because Moses took a drop of blood and put it on the right tips of Aaron's, the right tips of of the ears of Aaron's sons. And then he took a drop of blood and put it on the right thumb of Aaron's sons. But not only did he do that, He took a drop of blood and put it on the right big toe of Aaron's sons. You may want to ask the question, well, Pastor Mike, why in the world would he put a drop of blood on a big toe? Well, I think that the answer to that question is for them to know in order to be great, it comes from walking with God. Walking with God. You see, the ear represent hearing God's voice. The thumb represented doing God's will. But the toe meant walking with God. It's so important for us to walk with God. God is concerned about us walking with Him. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 2 says, You once walked according to to the course of this world. Your lifestyle, the way you walked, was worldly. It was sinful. It was against the the, the mandates and the prescription of God. And then Ephesians 2.10, it says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that He has prepared for us ahead of time so that we can walk in them. These good works. Ephesians 4.1 says that we're to walk worthy of our calling. Ephesians 5.1 says that we're to walk in love. Ephesians 5.8 says that we're to walk as children of the light. 
Ephesians 5.15 says that we're to walk circumspectly, not as unwise, but wise. We're to walk in wisdom. God is concerned about how we walk. And I can't guarantee that you'll be great in the eyes of the world, but I can guarantee you that people will take notice if you walk with God. I can guarantee that, that, that our children will, will know if they walk with God, they'll know that they're going somewhere. Yeah. I guarantee you if they walk with God, they will recognize the legacy that is set before them. And you all know what a legacy is. Your legacy is determined by what you say, what you do, and what you stand for. And our children will know by what we say, what we do, and what we stand for. And then they will continue that legacy by what they say, what they do, and what they stand for. Because they've made it up in their minds that they're going to walk with God. They're going to make up in their minds that they're going to walk, live a lifestyle by faith and not by sight. That they're going to walk with Jesus. They're going to walk closely with him, that they're going to be intimate with him. And men and women, let me say this parenthetically, more is caught than taught. As you're walking with Jesus, you just catch things. As you walk with Jesus, you, you gather that family resemblance. As you walk with Jesus, you start taking on his ways. And men and women, that makes you great. I guarantee you that you love the people that share Jesus with you. You love them. You will stand up at their, their home-going services and call them blessed. Because you know what happens when grandmama dies. She's probably unknown by the entire world, yet she fills up a church, standing room only, with all of the people that she has loved. And all of the people that she has influenced. Moses took a drop of blood. And, 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 and he put it on the right tips of the ears of Aaron's sons. And then he took a drop of blood and put it on the right thumb of Aaron's sons. And then he took a drop of blood and put it on the right big toe. But that's not how the verse ends. The scripture says that after doing that, Moses sprinkled the blood Around the altar. He sprinkled the blood around the altar. You know what, Reverend Will, what I've neglected to say is that this position was created because of drama. It was created because there were, were, were hurts, habits, and hang-ups in the community of Israel that needed to be dealt with. This position was created because there were circumstances and sin and unrighteousness and wickedness and that sin needed to be dealt with. And so not only did he consecrate the, 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 the sons of Aaron, the children... He wanted them to know that the blood was not only for their ear and their thumb and the toe, but that the blood covered all around. It was sufficient to cover every issue that they might face. It was the blood. It was the blood. 
It was the blood that took care of the brokenness. It was the blood that took care of the sin. It was the blood that took care of the the, the unrighteousness. You remember there in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, it was the blood of Abel's lamb that was sufficient for sin. You remember you walk a few steps forward in Genesis chapter 22. It was the blood of the lamb that saved Isaac's life. Where he said, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You couple of steps forward to Exodus chapter 12. It was the blood that was put on the doorpost. And then the death angel passed over. You take a few steps forward to Leviticus 16. It was the blood of the atoning lamb that was a sacrifice for the sins of the entire nation. You take a step forward and you go to Isaiah 53. It was the blood of the Lamb by which we are saved. And that's the first time he's identified as a person. Like a lamb led to slaughter, he did not open up his mouth. You take a step forward into the New Testament in John 1.29 where it says, Behold, as, as John the Baptist looks at Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It was the blood, I tell you, that was sufficient. Matthew 26 says the blood brings forgiveness. Luke 22 says the blood brings a new covenant. Romans 3 says the blood passed over our sins. Romans 5 says that we're justified by the blood. Ephesians 2 says that we're brought near by the blood. Colossians 1 says we're reconciled by the blood. Hebrews 9 says we're purified by the blood. Hebrews 10 says we have confidence to enter into the holies by the blood. Hebrews 13 says we're sanctified by the blood. First Peter says we're redeemed by the blood. First John says we're cleansed by the blood. Revelation 12 says that we overcame him. We conquered by the blood. And our testimony of it. You see, our children can be great if they claim the blood. Blood on their ears, the blood on their thumb, the blood on their big toe, the blood all around them. Lord, cleanse me in the blood. I'll close with this about greatness. If you were to take an opinion poll in the first century about who was great, it would not be the disciples. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, were a despised minority group. They were not well known. Nobody knew their names. However... The opinion poll would say that people like Caesar and Brutus and Nero were the most popular. They would be the names that everyone would call. But the popularity and the greatness of an individual is not determined by what is happening right now. The greatness of an individual is not determined by the the current situation. The greatness of an individual is determined by the lasting value. And what people are saying years later, 2,000 years later, we name our dogs Caesar and Brutus and Nero. We name our children Peter. And James and John. We name our children Thaddeus. 
We name our children Timothy and Titus. We name our children those who were greatly following hard after Jesus. Our children are called to be great if they have three drops of blood. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you so much for for your word today. Father, not only do our children need these three drops of blood, all of us do. We need to be reminded to hear your voice. We need to be reminded to do your will. And we need to be reminded to walk with God. Father God, I pray that if there's someone here today that that needs to know you as Savior and Lord, that they would say, yes, Jesus, I need to claim that blood. Yes, Jesus, I put my faith in what you did on the cross for me, that blood that redeems me and saves me and gives me new life. Yes, Lord. Lord, I, I, I want to have that yes in my spirit that, that I say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe he died. Yes, I believe he was buried. Yes, I believe he, he rose on the third day. And yes, I want to invite him into my life as my Savior and Lord. If there's one here today, they can say yes. Say yes right now. Say yes. If that is you, I want you to find me immediately after service. And I want you to say, Pastor, I put my faith in Jesus today. And, and it could be that there's somebody that wants to join the church today. It, we're not going to have you come up today, but, but see me immediately after service and we'll tell you how you can belong to a church. We're not perfect, but I guarantee you we're going to follow hard after Jesus. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Won't you say Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you've been blessed. For more information about our church, we invite you to either visit our website at harvestcpc.com or call us at 205-853-5033. Until next time, be blessed.